Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Good morning, everybody. So good to, uh, to see your smiling faces, to hear your voices this morning. Thank you for joining us here in person and also online. And uh, thank you, worship team. What a powerful uh, moment. And I tell you, in first service and in this service, I'm praying that through the proclamation of God's word this morning and that at the end of the service today, that there would be a demonstration of, of the Holy Spirit's supernatural power that this would be a house of miracle, that hard hearts today would be melted, right? Those that have come in bound by sin would be set free. We're going to dive into some, uh, some heavy scriptures this morning in Galatians, and we've been in the series, and, and I believe that God's going to do a work this morning uh, like some of you have never seen, and so I just want to set your level of expectations and to set your hearts to be prepared for that today. Uh, before I dive into the message, I just want to mention a few things um, one is uh, that in the Waverly newspaper this week, I don't even want to do this. I just want to go straight to the message, right? I just want to, uh, but I'm going to do this because it's important and it's good stuff. So on the front page of the paper, we honor the Patton Guild children. Uh, they were raising money for BGMC. There's a project today is the Epic Give Day where uh, kids' hearts are being stewarded towards generosity. And uh, on the second page of the paper is yours truly and PG. And, uh, and so it's just talking about Waverly kids raising money from missionaries in Alaska to to get some uh, film to help present the gospel in villages where there's really limited access to the gospel. And so love that kids have been raising money for that. And PG came up with this idea that if the kids raise $3,000 within a segment of time, which the deadline is today, that next Sunday morning in kids' church that he would kiss a pig. And uh, then he had this brilliant idea that if the kids raised $4,000, that I would also get to kiss a pig next Sunday in kids' church. I have never hoped that we would not meet a goal for missions more in my entire life than what I have uh, today. I have never kissed a pig, as the Waverly paper has uh, uh, reported, and so uh, I could go my whole life without doing that, quite honestly. Uh, so anyway, love your generosity for that. Love to see how the kids are leveraging their influence and doing things for, uh, for missions. So the other thing is, uh, many of you have been watching the news, seeing the devastation that's taking place in Florida because of the hurricane, and we partner with an organization called Convoy of Hope, and they are in Florida right now doing disaster relief, and it's because of your faithfulness to the tithe and generosity with Kingdom Builders that we're able to help mobilize organizations like that and respond immediately uh, to the needs. And so already this year, we've given over $40,000 to Convoy of Hope through Kingdom Builders because of your generosity. And so just want you to know that that's happening. And if you're like, we, we want to do more for that, then great. Go online. Give online at crosspointwaverly.com, Market Kingdom Builders, and we'll continue to work together with that. And then one other thing that I want to highlight before we dive into the message is uh, the School of Arts launches tomorrow. And uh, it's exciting. 
There are 110 students signed up for the School of Arts. It's amazing. And Pastor Fisher is back in the production booth back there. And Pastor Fisher, I just want to say to you, I've always been impressed with you, honestly. And, uh, and over the last six months, as I've watched you hold the vision of the School of Arts, this big idea and this big vision, as well as look at all of the steps and all of the details necessary to execute this vision, and somehow you've been able to manage all of this and hold the big picture in sight, and I think it's just a testament of so many people from five to ages five to 73 who have signed up to develop the gifts that God has given to them, and so I just want to thank you and honor you and celebrate your leadership this morning. We couldn't have done it without you, and God's going to do some amazing things uh, through your obedience and your willingness to step out and answer the call. So uh, if you've not signed up and you want to take lessons, make sure that you talk to Pastor Fisher or go online to crosspointwaverly.com forward slash or backslash SOA uh, School of Arts so uh, you can find out more information on that. We've been in a series in the book of Galatians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia over the last few weeks. Paul planted the church in Galatia, and he was part of their ongoing discipleship and church journey, and the way that he did that was that he would write letters to them, and this was a pattern of Paul, that he would go and plant a church, and then he would move on from there and go plant another church and respond back with correspondence. The book of Galatians is one of these letters that he wrote to the believers in Galatia. And in many of the letters that he would write back to the churches, there would be this encouraging phrase that he would start with. He would say something poetic like, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. And as we read this letter of Galatians, we see that this is not how he starts. This letter is different. In Paul's absence, there have been a group of men called Judaizers that have come in and begun preaching a false gospel that people have begun to believe. And so their ears are filled with, uh, they're filling the ears of these new believers with these false teachings. And they're telling the new believers that it's necessary for them to follow all of the Mosaic law uh, and, and Jesus in order to experience salvation. And Jesus plus anything is not the gospel, right? Jesus is enough. And Paul's very disappointed in the believer's quickness to be so easily deceived. He's incredibly angry at those who are doing the deceiving, and he uses some very strong language. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 this morning, we're going to be looking at some verses in Galatians chapter 5 as well as Galatians chapter 6. And Paul is so uh, frustrated with those who are preaching these erroneous teachings that in Galatians chapter 5 verse number 12, Paul writes, he says, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. It's pretty strong language. And Paul throughout this letter is reiterating to the church that we're justified by faith, not by works of the law. Last week we looked at Galatians chapter 3 where Paul literally starts out the chapter with y'all are really dumb for real. He does. He says, oh foolish Galatians. And we talked about last week, how would you respond to that? How would you respond to the correction? And, uh, and so it, it, he's correcting them and he's calling them foolish for believing in the things that, that they've been believing. And Paul wrote in a different letter to the church in Ephesus that it's by grace that you've been saved in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one 
could boast. And so this is the message that Paul is talking about with the church in Galatia as well as the church in Ephesus. And if you've missed any of these messages in this series, I'd encourage you to go back and take a listen. Find us on Facebook or crosspointwaverly.com or YouTube or Spotify. Again, this morning we're going to skip ahead to Galatians chapter 5. And at the beginning of this chapter, he's saying that Christ has set us free and that there's no need to submit back to the yoke of slavery of the law. The primary teaching that the Judaizers had been spreading is that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order for them to truly be saved. And this is what Paul is referring to when he writes that they're going back to the law. And in chapter 5, verse number 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus didn't give his life so that we could merely have the outward markings of a Christian life. Jesus gave his life to transform our hearts. He gave his life not to just impact our behaviors, but to impact and transform our hearts. And Paul says that this outward stuff counts for nothing. What counts is a heart postured in complete surrender to Jesus and faith working through love. And when we do this well, it can't help but express itself outwardly. But it doesn't start in the outwardly. It starts with what Jesus does on the inside. How many of you have children in the room this morning? Would you raise your hand? Okay, a number of you. How many of you love when your children are compliant? Would you slip up your hand? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you love when your children are defiant? Okay, none of you, exactly right. Like we love when our children are compliant. And I'll just tell you that when my children are compliant, which is most of the time, I thank God for the great kids that he's blessed us with. But when, uh, when they're compliant, it, it leads to a peaceful household, right? It, it leads to a peaceful household. Compliance is a beautiful thing. But for Erica and I, while compliance is great, our desire for our kids is not just that they would be outwardly compliant, but that their hearts would be stirred towards the things of God. And so we've tried to parent our kids in such a way that it's not just about behavioral modification, it's about heart transformation. Right, Because when the heart is right, then the outward things will come in alignment. And so I think what Paul is addressing in these passages for us this morning is that while compliance is great, it's not the goal. Heart transformation is the goal. And when our hearts are transformed, then our behaviors come into alignment. And so let's pick up at Galatians chapter 5, verse number 13 this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 13. You can read along on the screen as well. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Chapter 6, verse number 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any of these transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are the household of faith. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your Spirit's power. Would you make your word come alive to us? Would you open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand? Lord, I pray for those that have come in deceived this morning with, with, uh, with blinders over their eyes. Lord, I pray that today that those blinders would be lifted. That today that people would experience your grace and your love in a way like they've never seen it before. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 5, verse number 13, Paul tells the church, the believers in Galatia, that they were called to freedom. And he lets them know that this freedom is not to indulge in sin. This freedom is not for indulgence in sin or selfishness. The freedom is for serving. And then he adds this qualifier. He says it's not just to serve, but to serve through love. This past week, I was working on this message at Panera, and it was around lunchtime, and I was hungry, and I was ready for a sandwich, and so I ordered a sandwich, and when my name was called, I walked up to the, to the area where, there, where you collect your food, and there's a guy by the name of Jacob Enos who was working there. Jacob's part of Scent Church in Cedar Falls and Chi Alpha at the University of Northern Iowa, and I go to grab my sandwich, and he looks at me, and he says, your sandwich was made with love. And I was like, I love that, and I believe that. Like, I believe that, that on that day, that what he was doing was an act of worship unto God, and so whether it was baking some pizza or making a sandwich or slicing a bagel, he was doing it with a heart of love. And so I, I think for us, no matter what we're doing, whether it's in our vocation or whether it's in our jobs or whether we're here at the church and we're sweeping the floor or we're cutting donuts or we're changing diapers or we're smiling at people as they come in the doors or we're helping them find a seat, that we would serve with love. 
And so when ta- Paul talks about the freedom believers have, he continues to qualify the terms. In verse number 14, he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew chapter 22, verse number 36, uh, Jesus is asked this question, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus' response to them is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all, all the law and the prophets. We're going to see through this message that the Spirit takes us beyond the expectations of the law. When our hearts are transformed by the power of the Spirit, then there's a desire to live a life that's holy and pleasing to God. And out of an overflow of our love for God flows love to others. And when we get the relationship with our Father right, then we can get the relationship with his kids right. And so Paul in Romans chapter 13, verse number 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then it says love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. We'll serve one another in love. And in verse number 15, he's either having a proactive conversation with them or he's having a corrective conversation with them. And in verse number 15, he says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He's speaking of the importance of unity. In addition, he's saying you reap what you sow. And if you're going to be hating and destroying other believers, you better watch out because you might be next. And the imagery is dramatic. His words evoke uh, that of animals of praying and snapping at one another with the intent to kill and eat, and when believers do this, it results in mutual destruction, and all get consumed. He continues in verse number 16, and I'll, I'll read it this time from the Message Bible. He says, my counsel is this, live freely animated and motivated by God's Spirit. I love that language there, live freely animated and motivated by God's spirit. He doesn't say live boring uh, lives, you know. Uh, You don't have to check your fun at the door when you become a follower of Jesus, right? Live freely and animated and motivated by God's spirit. And some of you are nudging your neighbors and you're like, see, I can can live animated. It's okay. Uh, He says, then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there's a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? The works of the flesh are in direct opposition to the spirit, and the spirit requires more. The ground for moral living in the gospel has even higher ethical aspirations and possibilities than the law. And Paul's saying in this passage that the keys to Christian morality is the general guiding principle of love of God and others, and secondly, the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul's about to list off some behaviors in this passage that are not appropriate for followers of Jesus. 
And the list is not exhaustive, but some of you might feel like it's impossible to be victorious in these areas of your life. And I just want to tell you today that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be set free. And I pray that at the end of the service today that there will be some of you who struggle in these areas that Paul lists off that will be set free today. A believer whose life is continuously given over to the control of the Spirit receives the only source of power, the Holy Spirit, that can help overcome the flesh and fulfill God's will in the believer. And so the Message Bible defines or uh, outlines these verses this way. It's not going to appear on the screen, but it says it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, he says, I could go on. He starts this off by saying, now the works of the flesh are evident. He's saying to the believers in Galatia, these things are so obvious that they should not mark the life of a believer and they're definitely not from God. The first three sins that, that he lists are sexual sins. He says sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. The first refers to any and all forms of illicit sexual relationships. Sex is a gift from God meant to be enjoyed be, between the, uh, a man and a woman in the bounds of marriage. And anything outside of that is sexual immorality. And the next word that he mentions is impurity, which is referring to moral uncleanliness in thought and in word or deed. And so he's taken it to the next level of not just an outward expression, but also talking about what's going on in the mind. How is the thought life? And, uh, and then the third is sensuality. Some translations translate this word debauchery, which gives the idea of all of these things being done out in the open, shameless, and brazen displays of these evils. And after he lists these three sins, he lists two religious sins. He uses the words idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is placing anything or anyone at a higher level than God. And a lot of times we can think of idolatry and think, well, nobody here suffers from idolatry because there's not some kind of image that people are bowing down to. But idolatry is really positioning anything above the rightful place of God, which is at the top of everything. He goes on to, to mention sorcery. And in ancient times, the worship of evil powers which was idolatry, was accompanied by the use of drugs to create trances. After listing these sexual sins and, and religious sins, he goes on to list eight societal evils. He uses the words enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. The first is enmity, having hatred towards someone. Strife, this is a natural result of hatred and was clearly a problem in the Galatian church. Jealousy is an emotion referring to the thoughts and feelings of insecurity, fear, and envy over relative lack of possession, status, or something of great personal value. He continues, fits of rage should be an outburst of temper, rivalries, 
Other translations use the word selfish ambition, which is the idea of striving to get ahead at others' expense. Dissensions and divisions is what happens when people quarrel over issues or personalities causing hurtful divisions. He continues with envy. Envy is a wrongful desire to possess what belongs to someone else. And Paul wraps up with two sins, moves from, uh, from sexual sins to religious sins to then societal evils And then he wraps it up with two sins associated with alcohol. And he uses the word drunkenness, which refers to the impairment of those who have had too much alcohol. And the next next word that he uses is orgies. Historically, he's referring to the gathering of those who worship Bacchus, the god of wine. And in these gatherings, it would include the evils of sexual immorality and drunkenness. And like I mentioned before I read off this list, this list is not exhaustive. Paul adds at the end of this list, he says, and things like these. And so no one reading this passage could be like, he didn't explicitly lay out my sin. Well, I think he did when he said, and things like these. And not gleefully, but very humbly, Paul says, I warn you again. He says, we've already talked about this, and I'm going to warn you again, and in verse number 21, he says that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, those who habitually indulge in these fleshly sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul's not saying that if you aren't perfect, that you're going to go to hell. He's not saying that if you sin in one of these areas, there's not hope for you. What he's saying is that if you continually live on such a level of moral corruption, it's probably time to evaluate if you're even a child of God. And the sin nature would lead you and try to convince you to just keep doing whatever it is that you want to do, but the Spirit would lead you to confess your sin and experience deliverance and freedom. And Paul goes on after this list of sins to give a list of the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to skip past that for just a moment and dive down to chapter 6. We all realize that we live in a fallen world, and there are going to be people who miss the mark in one of these areas that Paul mentions, and things like these. I'm not going to ask you to look around the room this morning, but the reality is, is that this room is filled with imperfect people. Paul was writing to a church that was filled with imperfect people. And the same words that he gave to the church in Galatia still apply to the church in Waverly today. And so uh, Paul gives us instructions out as to how we're to handle people when they fall into sin. And in verse number one, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We live in a cancel culture, right? Celebrities, athletes, politicians, pastors, fellow believers, friends, family members. There's this expectation that if someone messes up or voices something that's in opposition to whatever your firm convictions are or whatever, the expectation is is that you would write them off and cancel them. And Paul tells the church in Galatia and subsequently us that canceling is not the mark of a believer. And so what is the mark? 
What is the goal? The mark and the goal is restoration. The mark and the goal is restoration. He's already outlined that everything we do in service to God and others should be in love. And he adds in this verse that you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. May our church be one that's marked by restoration. May we find delight when those who are far from God are reconciled back to their maker. Right? I, I can't imagine in all of the conversations that I've had with, with each of you, I can't imagine that there would be one of you that would come up to me or come into our church and be like, oh, I can't believe one of those 12,000 people within a 10-mile radius of our church came to church today. Like, what are they thinking? How could they think that this place is for them? Right? We should be a church that celebrates when lost people come to know him. We are a church that does it. We should continue to do it. May we mourn when believers fall and find delight in their restoration, right? And not flip those around because I think in our culture today, sometimes we celebrate when believers fall and we mourn when they're restored. And I'm just telling you as a church, that shouldn't be our posture. Like we're in the restoration business. And Paul warns in verse number one to keep watch of yourself lest you be tempted to. And I think it's often viewed to be careful when you're helping to restore someone that you don't fall to their level. And I think more than that, or at least in addition to that, is Paul is saying that our flesh is at war with the spirit. There is an enemy of our souls and we have to be people who walk in the spirit and reject the flesh. We have to be spiritually disciplined people lest we too be tempted and we shouldn't think so proudly that it could never happen to us. And so when we see a fellow brother or sister miss the mark, it should lead us to look inward about our own vulnerability and temptation and sin. And when we revert to, as verse number three says, that thinking that we're something more than mere sinners saved by grace, or when we revert to judgmentalism, it destroys the body of Christ. Paul wraps up this section in chapter six with, with these three verses. In verse number eight, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. He says, and, not let us, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. He lays out the results of, of what we sow. He says, if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And for Paul, in these verses, we see that salvation and conduct for believers is inseparable. In verse number nine, he says, let us not grow weary in doing good. And so we're not saved by good works, but good works and good things are the mark of a believer. And Paul writes, he says, don't grow weary. He says, if you don't grow weary, if you don't give up, you will reap. And Paul gives us the indicators or markers of the flesh, and then he gives us these instructions as to how we're to respond and what we're to do when a fellow believer misses the mark. And finally, he lists this, this list again, this, not an exhaustive list of good traits, but he says these are the fruit of the Spirit. And in verse number 22 of chapter 5, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, those who are believers, those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the desires of the flesh with its passions and desires and have said, God, I, I no longer want to walk in these ways. I no longer want these evils to be associated with my life. I want to walk in freedom from these areas. I don't want any of those to be markers of my life. Instead, I want the markers of the fruit of the Spirit to mark my life. And so when you do a self-evaluation this morning, is your life bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Or is it bearing the evils of the flesh? And what we see in the entirety of Scripture is the initiation of God in all aspects of becoming a follower of Him and being the children of God. And God moved first with His acts of saving and empowering grace. Humans are responsible for their actions and consequences result from those actions. And in the Bible, we see that covenants and promises of God, however unconditional that they may sound, are not absolute guarantees. We've been given free will. We've been given the ability to make a choice. We're able to reject God's promises and his covenant. God does not permit humans to claim a promise of God while violating the will of the God who made the promises. And so this letter to this church is heavy. There's some areas where they've not gotten things right. And throughout this letter, Paul brings correction, but he also offers hope. And this morning, maybe there are some of you who are hearing the word of God through Paul in Galatians this morning. And there's some conviction in your heart because there's some correction that needs to take place. And this morning, I just want to tell you that there's hope. In the same way that Paul said to the believers in Galatia, we say to you today, there is hope. By the power of the Spirit, you can walk in freedom. Your life can be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. And you say, today I want to become a follower of him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him. And you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but, but today your, your life is marked by the evils of the flesh. And you've been living in habitual, unrepentant sin. And you say, today I... I want to be set free, I want to be forgiven, and I want to walk in the new life that Christ has for me. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time, or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three, lift them up all across this room. Thank you, I see that hand. One, two, 
three, four, five. You can put them down. Are there others this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand all across this room. There were at least five hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. And this morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you raise your hands today, we'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We want to follow up with you on the decision that you've made and encourage you in the journey that God wants to take you on. Again, if you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We leave time at the end of each of our services for people to receive prayer. In just a moment, the prayer team's gonna come up to the front of the stage here on each side. The worship team's gonna lead us in another song. And if you've come here today needing prayer for anything, big or small, maybe some of you just have what you think is a small prayer need, and maybe for others of you, you're like, I need a miracle today from God. I need a miracle. In just a moment, I'd encourage you to step out of your seat. Also, for those of you who's, who need deliverance this morning, you say, my life is marked by the evils that Paul listed off in these verses in chapter 5, and you say, today I want to experience freedom from that. I want those things to be in my past and for my present and my future to be marked by the Spirit of God and the fruits of the Spirit. I would encourage you in just a moment to courageously and boldly come to the front and believe for God to set you free this morning. I'm going to pray. Worship team is going to lead us in a song, and I would encourage you, as they do, to step out of your seat. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the verses in this passage today that encourage us in the areas where we're doing good and bring conviction and correction in the areas where we've missed the mark. Lord, we thank you that you are in the restoration business, that you're in the business of taking people who are so far from you and completely lost and restoring a right relationship with their maker. God, we're also grateful that that in our imperfections and in our failings, that you bring about restoration. And so, Lord, I pray for those this morning whose lives are not marked by the fruit of the Spirit, but instead marked by the evils of the flesh, that today would be a day where confession of sin would take place and a restoration of right relationship and fellowship with you would be had. Lord, I pray in just a moment as people come forward that you would do something supernatural. 
that today would be a day in people's histories where they never looked back and they moved forward in the destiny and the plan that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.